please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, I'll be reading Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. And I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. <coughs> Daniel 10, starting verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, with mourning for three weeks, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. <coughs> his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Please be seated. Thank you, Chris, uh, for reading scripture, and you can go to Daniel chapter 10 as we continue our walk uh, through the book of Daniel. We only have this week and two more chapters, and uh, we will reach, reach the end. Daniel chapter number 10. This morning, we begin to wrap up this book, uh, and you think, wait, we still got two more chapters. But starting here and going through the end is uh, all about this one uh, one vision. Uh, so we're beginning this final portion here. Daniel's going to spend a lot of time talking about it. Uh, and our study has been titled Hope in a Hostile World. And we've been walking through the major teachings of this book and seeing, hey, in a world that's, that's hostile, in a world that's more hostile toward the things of God. He was living in Babylon, and now here he's living under the uh, Persian king Cyrus. And uh, that he's living, Daniel's still living, though, with hope. And in application sense, we as Christians, we're living in a world today that is becoming more and more hostile towards God. And so how do we live with hope today? Uh, we're to engage culture and remain distinctively Christian. So today we reach chapter 10 here and uh, this, this prophetic section, remember we started with chapter 7 and uh, we got to the end chapter, uh, we're getting to chapter 12 eventually. And, and maybe some of us are thinking, how does this give me hope? Like, how do these strange visions and dreams give me a chance to somehow be encouraged or, or strengthened in my relationship? I, I understood when we did the narrative part when, you know, Daniel's standing before the king and, 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 and the, the Hebrew uh, guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing before the king. And, but now we're in this weird stuff, these visions and, and dreams and things and prayers. And, and so how does this give me hope? And as I said from the beginning, this is a very, very practical book because we live in a world that is growing daily more and more distant, or it seems, more distant from God. The Bible has something to say about that. Daniel has something to say about that. And chapter 10 today is no different. And I would say that Daniel 10 is really, as we study this together, is really answering the question, what's really going on in the world today? What's really happening in the world? Why are things the way that they are in our world today? 
And if I were to ask you that simple question, what would you respond with? Maybe you might suggest, oh, poverty or a lack of education or if we could just do away with disease or maybe government corruptions. But as Christians, we live with what we call a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview that says it's not just those things, but there's something underneath that, that is the driving force of why the world is the way it is. And so Daniel today is going to speak to us about that. Let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. God, I pray that you would open our hearts today. Lord, as we, we sing the song, Speak, O Lord, as we come to you today. Lord, this, these are your words, your words of truth. They are inspired words from you. And they are there to teach us, to train us, to, to give us a glimpse of reality. And Father, today I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would understand this, this message. It is in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. When I was in college, uh, I joined a puppet team. I know, it sounds weird, right? I'm puppets. <laughs> Anytime I can be behind something and make fun, yeah. I was a part of a puppet team. Actually, we traveled around in the neighborhoods in college, and we would do uh, puppet skits for the neighborhood kids. And uh, we, we, had this, we had puppets, and we had this wall that collapsed, like accordion-type thing. We set it up, and then we would all get behind it, and we would do Bible stories. We did Daniel in the lion's den. We did, the, we did David and Goliath. We did all these different skits. And what would happen is we would do the skit, and then one of us would go around in front to where all the kids were, and would then share the gospel or share the Bible truth while the rest of us stayed behind the wall and we would be in prayer uh, during that time for the person speaking and we would just sit. We were outside and there was one particular day, it was kind of uh, a breezy day and uh, a friend of mine had walked around and he was up front and he was talking and we're all sitting in the back and all of a sudden a gust of wind took that wall and went boom and immediately there sits about 25 kids staring at like seven or eight college guys all seated like this, looking at them when they're like, oh, whoa. We're like, hey, kids, just pull the wall back up. <laughs> yeah, don't pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain, right? <laughs> yeah. Daniel 10 has been described as the pulling back of the curtain of reality. There's this glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes. And instead of finding a group of college guys all sitting really close together, or finding a man that's running a machine with smoke and fire and, you know, saying he's the great and powerful Oz, we find a different reality. So we're going to walk through this chapter. We might bounce around a little bit, but I want to show you uh, some things that, that we can draw from this vision. Okay, we read verses one through six and we didn't even really get into the vision. We just we just see Daniel on the banks of the Tigris seeing this guy. So uh, we're going to walk through uh, the, what's seen here. It kind of gives some truths. And there's three that I want to uh, talk with you about today. First of all, prayer is more important than you think. Prayer is more important than you think. Look at verse one. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning 
for three weeks. Now, as we begin this chapter, we notice Daniel, for some reason, reminds us that his name is Belteshazzar. He hasn't done that since early on, way back chapter one, but he reminds us who he is. Uh, as I was reading this, it's been suggested that, that this verse one is really a title section for chapters 10, 11, and 12. And it's almost as if Daniel is writing this as like a legal document. So he's kind of titling it at the top. Uh, he's reminding uh, the people who he is. Uh, it's been a number of years at this point. So he's, remi he's reminding them, hey, I'm Belteshazzar. Remember, I'm Daniel. I'm the guy that, that, that came over. I've been, I've been here all this time. It's also the only part where he refers to himself in the third person, the rest of the vision and everything. He's going to go back to talking, I saw this and I did this. Uh, so it might be this is a label here for this entire section. It also says that it's the third year of King Cyrus. Okay, now we've, we've done this. We've talked about it historically speaking. We had Nebuchadnezzar at the first part of the book. Then we have uh, Belshazzar, which was in chapter 5. Uh, that last night of his reign, and then the end of chapter 5, we have Belshazzar dying and Darius coming in. Darius from the, the Medo-Persian Empire takes over, and there's this, this new king now named Cyrus. Cyrus is a historical figure. You can look him up in history books. You will find him there. He's the king of Persia. As a matter of fact, we also find him in other books of the Bible. Uh, for example, Ezra. Ezra mentions that in chapter 1, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up Cyrus, the king of Persia, so he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. And this is what Cyrus did his first year as king. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me, notice, to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with them, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Can you imagine Daniel and others when they hear these words? Like, they've been underneath Nebuchadnezzar, who was, who was uh, the first part was like against God and everything, who had a change. Then he's under Belshazzar, who was like mocking God and using the, the items in the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, excuse me, sorry, the temple items in a mocking way. Uh, and then you have Darius, Darius who uh, throws Daniel in the lion's den, and then he has a change. But now, here's Cyrus in his first year claiming I know the God of heaven, and the God of heaven has told me, you guys need to go back home to Jerusalem. Isaiah the prophet would mention Cyrus by name, and we won't take the time to go there, but Isaiah mentions him as saying that God is going to use him to bring these people back and to build a city. And it's interesting because Isaiah says Cyrus is being used by God even though Cyrus doesn't really know God, which I find interesting. Can God use people who are not saved to accomplish his will? Of course. So the 70 years of captivity now have come to an end, and the Israelites are now going home. And it would say over those first couple years that over 40,000 Israelites would, be deport, would not be deported, but would be returned back to their homeland. So now, Daniel chapter 10, we're in the third year of his reign. The Jews are now back home, but Daniel isn't. Why isn't Daniel at home? We don't know. 
uh, most that I read suggested it was probably because of his age. This has been over 70 years, and Daniel is probably between 85 to 90 years old. And maybe he wouldn't have survived the journey. It's not like a simple plane flight, but this is a, a huge, arduous journey for hundreds of miles. So maybe he remained behind. He's here, and notice what he's doing. He says, and I received a word about a great conflict. I understood, and I had understanding. Now he's going to tell us what this conflict, this word is. But before he does, he's going to introduce us to something else. The actual vision that he saw was chapter 11. We're going to see that next week. But this here is kind of setting up the scene of what's going on. Look at verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. He says, I'm so, Daniel was so upset by something that it caused him to go on this sort of limited fast, if you will, maybe going back to the way that he ate in chapter 1. I remember the story where he, he didn't want to eat the king's meat. He wanted to eat the, the salads and the rabbit food, and he did all of that, and then he was healthier than the king. You know, you remember that in chapter 1. And he says it in verse 3, I didn't eat delicacies, I didn't eat meat or wine. Uh, he goes, nor did I anoint myself at all. Uh, remember, this region of the, of the world is a very dry desert region. Uh, and in those days, they would often anoint themselves with oils uh, to make themselves a little more less dry. We do it's the same thing today. Women have the essential stuff, and they put it on, and they feel all good and everything. Daniel says, I didn't do any of that. Okay? This is an intense time of mourning for him for three weeks. Now, some have suggested that this was a result of the end of chapter 9. Remember last week, chapter 9, when he saw the, the, hear the, the word of the 70 weeks, right? And he had the 62 weeks and then the other week and blah, 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 and all that different stuff. However, when you go back to chapter 9, you find out that he had that vision the first year of Darius's reign. Here, we're in the third year of Cyrus's reign. And so my belief is I need, I need to figure out more of historically what's going on here. And so what I did was I went back over to Ezra because we had the beginning of Cyrus's reign in Ezra. And I did some uh, reading there and some studying there. And I found this sort of connection. Okay, In Ezra, I mentioned it was the first year, and the Jews start coming home. And what do they do when they start coming home? They start rebuilding their city. They start rebuilding their, their nation, if you will. What I find in Ezra, almost immediately, that they're faced with opposition. Ezra chapter 4, the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That's not the same Darius. This was a different Darius later on. And so what we find here, when you do the, the study, you find for 15 years that, that, that the people go home and then they start building. Then there's this opposition. No one wants them to build. And so for 15 years, the, the city just sits. The, the temple's not finished. The wall's not finished. Daniel is at the beginning of this. He hears that construction has stopped. He begins to mourn. That's how I take this. God, you promised 
You said you're going to return your people back to their land after 70 years. You're going to restore the glory to your land. And now I'm hearing word that it's not happening. So I'm mourning. You see, the same thing happened to Nehemiah. When you read the book of Nehemiah, when he's sitting under King Artaxerxes, that the same thing, that the wall's not being built. And I'm mourning because, God, you promised that this was going to take place. So Daniel mourns for three weeks. He prays for 21 days. Now, skip down to verse 12. We're going to talk about the vision, the guy that he saw in just a minute. But let me skip down to verse 12 to show you. Then he said to me, this is the, the, the guy speaking, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, notice, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Daniel, I heard your words. God heard your words on the very first day. I know it's been 21 days later. But things started happening in heaven on day one. But then he says, something kept me from getting there earlier. And we'll talk about that uh, in just a minute. But I want you to see that the messenger says, hey, listen, we heard your prayers. We heard them on day one, and I'm here because of your words. And that just echoes something that we've said over and over again. That answers to prayer, in this case, a visitation from an angel, would not have come if Daniel was not praying. It happens because Daniel prayed. And I say this, that God moves in our hearts today because we pray. And if we're not willing to pray, I think God is just waiting for us to pray. Now you think, well, why does God do this? Why doesn't he just, just do it? I mean, Nike says, just do it. Why don't you just do it? I mean, why do we have to pray? Why does God seem to use this inefficient way, right? Well, it seems like it's inefficient. I mean, because God, you already know what's going to happen. You could just snap your fingers, God, and there it is. But I personally believe that for whatever reason, that God stoops down to use me, to use you. That the thing that God intends to do at Gages Lake Bible Church, the things that God intends to do, Christian, will happen because we're praying. That God is going to involve you in accomplishing things on earth. You know what that means? That means your prayers really matter. Your prayers actually change things. That's what Daniel does. He prays, and the angel says, as soon as I heard, as soon as God heard your prayers, he starts moving. Daniel prayed, and angels mobilized. There are things happening behind the scenes that we'll never know. But I think another reason that God uses this method is, is it teaches us to persevere. How many of us, listen, listen, we're in the now generation, right? Everything's right now. I downloaded a game on my computer, and I started playing it, and it took like two minutes to load. And I'm like, oh, come on. I just want to play the game. Sorry, I'm a gamer. All right. 
We live in this now generation. How many of us, how many of us give up praying when we don't immediately get an answer? See, Daniel agonizes for 21 days. By the way, that's not a magical number. You know, if you pray for 21 days, it's going to happen. No, no. But when was the last time you earnestly, he mourns, he, he doesn't eat the, what he normally eats, and he, he's not taking care of himself because he's earnestly praying for something that, that seemed impossible for that long of a time. When was the last time we did that? Yeah, but... Pastor, you, you don't know. My cousin is just so far from God. He or she is just is so much against God. And I say, they're still breathing. God is the God who saves, isn't he? And if he can save someone who is literally killing and arresting Christians, Paul, then can he save your cousin? Can he save a famous rapper? Can his arms reach down to the deepest depths and pull anyone up from the grave? And if you said yes to this, then you should be praying. You persevere in prayer before God. You continually go back to God. Do you know Jesus told a parable about that? Luke 18, I encourage you to read the parable. I'm just going to show you the first verse. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not it says lose heart. Jesus is telling, keep praying, don't give up. And that's what Daniel does. And by the way, Daniel doesn't receive his answer until 21 days later. Which means he had been praying for 21 days with no answer. But he keeps on praying. He keeps on praying. And we get so troubled that our prayer is not answered immediately. But the angel says, Daniel, your prayer was heard on day one. Your prayer was heard the very first time. And God started moving in that time. Keep going. Keep praying. Prayer is more important than you think. The second thing that I want to show you is the unmediated or unmasked power of God is more devastating than you think. The unmediated or unmasked power of God is more devastating. So Daniel is praying, and on the 24th day we have... This, this, this person, okay, this strange being, show up. And I'm saying the unmasked power of God uh, because you and I experience, the things we experience with God are always mediated. Uh, we, 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 we see the power of God through the Bible or through the words of this book, and, and I say that that's mediated. Or maybe we get it through a worship song or a phrase, or maybe we experience God through the comfort or support of friends or family or through someone else. And all of those are, are, are mediated pictures of his power. However, if you take that, if you unmask the full power of God, this is not something that we would simply say, yay, I'm so happy, yay. No, this is, the, the unmasked power of God is devastating. Now take a look at what I mean. Chapter uh, 10, verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, all right, so he puts us where he is, I lifted up my eyes, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. He ever walked into a room and not noticed someone in that room? You ever had that? 
you walk in, you're doing something, ah, oh my goodness, I did not see you there. <laughs> you know, there's that moment. Daniel is out by the banks of the Tigris River. Maybe he's praying, he's been wrestling with God, he's been seeking God, he's crying out to God, and he turns around and boom, there's this man. And listen to what Daniel says about him. He's clothed in linen. Linen, perhaps this is some sort of robe, okay? In those days, the men and the women both wore robes. Uh, linen was the material used for the priests, okay? So he's like a, he recognizes this is linen. He says there's a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. Now, Daniel, listen, listen. Daniel has never seen this before and most likely will never see it again. And so what he's trying to do, he's trying to get his readers and us to understand this is what I see, okay? I'm seeing in this moment, I look up, and there's this man. He's standing there with a robe. He's got this golden belt on. Now, what's a belt for in those days? Because you're like, if I have a robe, why do I need a belt? The belt, if you study uh, that time period, they would use the belt if they were being active. They would take their robe and gather it up and tuck it in their belt. So that way they can move for battle. And most likely, this man had the robe tucked in because Daniel mentions that he sees his legs. Okay, And then notice what he says. Golden fez around his waist. His body was like barrel. Barrel. And then later on he says, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. Okay, Unless you're a gemologist, you probably don't know what barrel looks like. It's if, if you will, it's kind of in that same class of gems as like a, an emerald or a ruby or a diamond. It's kind of this chiseled, structured look, okay? There's even a brown barrel. Maybe that's what he's thinking of. Daniel's trying to describe his body, and the only thing he can think of is this, this strong metal. It's, it's cut. It's, it, he's, he's looking at the rock. Dwayne Johnson. No, no, he's not. He's, he's like, whoa, this guy's standing in front of him. Now notice what it says. His face like the appearance of lightning and his eyes like flaming torches. Whoa. Now, you can kind of see this. We naturally do this. When, he, when he, he turns and he looks, his eyes naturally go up. He goes, I see the linen, I see the belt, I see the chiseled body and then the face. The flash of brightness. And his eyes are flaming torches. Does it mean that they're glowing? That they're ablaze with brilliance or maybe flickering like a flame? Can you imagine being in Daniel's shoes in that moment? God, actually, we do get to see what Daniel does. Look at verse 7. Because we read that in the scripture reading, but we didn't see what Daniel did. Actually, before that, notice it says, The sounds of his words like the sound of a multitude. The sound of a multitude. His voice sounded like this massive crowd of people. Research says that, that, that the crowds of Century League Field in Seattle, Washington, if you don't know, that's where the Seattle Seahawks play, they've done studies and they said that the crowds of their field are so loud that they actually interfere with communication among players on the field and that they even mess up the communications of the helmet microphones and radios. That's how loud they are. Imagine standing in the middle of Soldier Field, which is a better field, Soldier Field in Chicago, and having the entire crowd speak to you the same thing in unison, and how overwhelmingly loud that would be. 
Now, what would you do if you saw this being? Hey, my man, what's up? High five, fist bump, what's up, God? Who is this guy? Some have suggested that this is a Christophany, and they take appearance from Jesus in the book of Revelation, uh, and they say that this is Jesus appearing in the Old Testament uh, before he actually was born in the Gospels. Uh, however, I'm not sure about that. I'm not going to dogmatically say it wasn't. Uh, but when I study what happens to this guy, uh, maybe that it, it's not really him. It's maybe an angel of sorts. Uh, you can kind of debate this. Because uh, he's sent from God. He was struggling to get to Daniel. And I, I don't think Jesus struggles against Satan. I think Jesus says, nope, you don't. <laughs> but that, that, that's me. But now, notice Daniel's response, verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Thanks, guys. They don't see him, but they hear this noise. They hear something, and they themselves scared, run, and disappear. And now Daniel's left standing before him. Now, notice what Daniel says, verse 8. So I was left alone and saw this great vision. And now notice how many times he talks about his strength. No strength was left in me. My radiance appearance, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell in my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Skip down to verse 16. And behold, one in the likeness of children of men touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke. And I said to who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains I have come upon me, I have retained no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me. No breath is left in me. That's how you respond to God. It's not, hey, high five, fist bump. No, you fall to the ground, and Daniel says, my face was in the dirt, and you're catatonic. I'm literally lying face down, shaking uncontrollably. And now look at verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling upon my hands and knees. He says it, it came down and touched me. And next, the only thing I could do is get up to my hands and knees. I can't even stand up. I'm shaking so much. I'm so afraid. Now look at what the man says. Verse 11. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Daniel, he says, Daniel, you are greatly loved. Over and over again, won't we see this? Don't we see that? God loves you. When the power of God shows up, what we need to know the most is God loves you. Because if out that knowledge, you're going to be completely undone. And so he commands Daniel to stand up. Now, what would you do if you were Daniel? You stand up, right? He says it, you better do it. He stands up, and he's still trembling. In my mind, I still see him standing there with his face down. And then the angel speaks, and we saw that verse 12. Uh, and following, fear not, Daniel, from the first day you set your heart. We already looked at those verses. So skip down to verse 15. 
And when he had spoken to me according to those words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. He's mute. Daniel has no ability to even speak anything in return. This is not a chat. This is not a conversation over coffee. Okay? Some have suggested another angel, because he says one in the likeness of the children of men. Some have suggested another angel touches Daniel, kind of like Isaiah, when Isaiah had the angel come and touch his lips so that he could open his mouth. We, We don't know. But this shows how literally undone he is by the power that's in front of him. And Daniel says, I have no breath left. Like, I, I, I can't even speak. I'm literally in a moment of panicking. Verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of a good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Daniel says, finally he can respond, not because of his own, but because the Lord, someone, he has been strengthened to do this. Ray Ortland said it this way. He goes, it's like nuclear power in a paper bag. If you're going to put nuclear power in a paper bag, you better strengthen the bag. Now, what is going on? Who is this guy? And what is, what is this whole thing happening here? I believe it's Daniel experiencing the unmatched power that comes from God. And it is not cheerful. I mean, throughout Scripture, when you come into the presence of God, then it can be a huge traumatic experience. Isaiah chapter 6. We've, we know this, this passage. In the first year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In in verse 4, foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Ezekiel describes that vision that he saw, and he said when he saw it, he fell on his face, and that the Spirit of God literally had to pick him up in order to speak to him. When you get to the New Testament, remember the temple, Zechariah standing in the temple, and all of a sudden there's an angel there, and Zechariah is like, <gasps> you know, you're going to have a son. And probably one of my favorites, Luke 2, chapter 9, the night Jesus was born, an angel appeared to, the, to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, right? I love the King James of this. He says they were sore afraid. You ever been so afraid that you're literally hurting? In all of these, the first words to them are fear not. Fear not. See, there are people in our culture today who want us to believe that that angels are just look like our friends and we just chat and hang out with them and there's these paintings and pictures of these beautiful soft beings who are fluffy and wonderful and they're kind of walking with you and then we kind of do the same thing with God we make him into this buddy or pal that's just wonderful he wants to sit and chat tell you it's all great and happy I can tell you that's not the God of the Bible that's not the angels of the Bible 
Listen, is God good all the time? Is he terrifying? Yes. So much that he tells Moses, listen, I want you to see my face. But understand that if you see my face in your mortal body, you're going to be incinerated. Right now, Jack is, actually he came up to me today, he just finished it. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you haven't read them, you should. Uh, if you would like, just take Jack to lunch, he'll tell you all the details. <laughs> in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you have the Pevensey children arriving in Narnia for the first time. Some of the characters they come across are uh, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Um, and I didn't remember, uh, uh, but Tom reminded me this morning that their names are Ward and June. Beaver? I guess they had a son, Wally. I don't know. No. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Uh, this is a children's book. It's literal. They're actual beavers, okay? They're just talking beavers. Okay. They have a chat with the, 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 with the children about where they are. And they talk about this horrible white witch and how that she kind of rules over the kingdom uh, and she turns people to stone. And the children, the children, actually one of their brothers is taken captive. And the beavers are excited and they say, no, listen, Aslan is on the move. And they're like, well, who, who's Aslan? Oh, he's a lion. And when he comes, he's going to set everything right. And the children ask about the lion. We've, we've talked about this quote before. Mr. Beaver, they're like, oh, is he, a, is he a nice lion? Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver goes, of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. Then the children express more nervousness. And, and, and Mrs. Beaver says this. If there was anyone who can stand before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then the children start thinking, wait, the white witch. What if the white witch turns Aslan to stone? And Mr. Beaver says, turn him to stone? If she can stand on her own two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most she can do and more than I expect of her. You know what I say? That's good theology. You know why? Because that's the picture we need to know about God. Who are we to stand and look at God in the face? No. We're going to be on our faces. Now, why, why, why is all of this important? Why is it necessary to see this picture from Daniel about how terribly undone he is and the result of seeing this, this being, this unmatched power from God? Well, first of all, I think that we need to be terribly sobered about our overly flippant idea of God because it will humble you to think of how mighty he is. But secondly, it ought to be terribly encouraging for our people who live in exile. People who live in a world that's hostile. Because if this is a messenger from God, and this is the, the glory that comes through the messenger of God, then what kind of God do we serve? And if I open my mouth in prayer, and this kind of power comes from God, then what kind of power is there behind prayer? What can stop God from doing anything he wants? Nothing. And as people who will probably never experience this kind of vision, it is hugely encouraging to know that God is on our side. Prayer is more important than you think. The unmasked power of God is more devastating than you think. Lastly, the third thing I wanted to mention to you is spiritual warfare is more real than you think. 
Spiritual warfare is more real than you think. Let's cycle back through this. Remember back in verse 1, Daniel says, Hey, I've seen this vision, and it bothers me. There's great conflict, and I'm praying, and I'm fasting. I'm 21 days into this. And then uh, I see this man who said, Day 1, God heard your prayer. He started things moving. And then we got down to verse 13. And verse 13 says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So we found out there, there was this man, or I would suggest angel here, who says, hey, I was coming to give you the answer, but something very mysterious happened. I was resisted for those 21 days. I faced opposition for those 21 days. And actually, go down to verse 20 now. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There's none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So there's, again, the mention of Michael. So there's this whole concept. What's going on here? The prince of Persia. Now there's a prince of Greece. Michael is mentioned as a chief prince. What is going on? Daniel 1 says, Daniel, in verse 1, he says there was this great conflict. And through this chapter, we see Daniel... And the angel here telling us that there's something going on behind the scenes. That there, if you will, there's this huge curtain that's, that's being pulled aside for a brief moment so that you can see what's truly going on. That there's something going on invisible to the naked eye. And unless it got unveiled to us, we would never see it. There are conflicts that are happening in heaven of which earthly conflicts are just reflections of. All that stuff happening in Jerusalem and why they're fearful, why they're not being Daniel are happening because of a greater conflict that's happening in the spiritual realm. And it's as real as you and I. And I would say that that conflict is still happening as we reach the last month of 2019. Uh, a Dutch theologian, Abraham, Abraham Kuyper, was famous for saying this, not one square inch over this universe that Jesus hasn't proclaimed my, he, he said there's not one part of the universe that Jesus hasn't said is his. But once he wrote about spiritual warfare, and this is what he said, if the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsing, sweeping everything within its range, that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. The, the D-Day, the Battle of the Bulge, you name it, whatever, would just seem like a mere game. Not here, but up there, he says, is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. This is what is happening. There's something going on behind the curtain that we don't see except for here. And the angel says, hey, I'm going to go back and I'm going to fight this prince of Persia. Um, and, and Michael, your prince, is going to come to our aid. And I would suggest to you that these are demonic and angelic beings. And there's no other way to look at this. The angelic being just showed up in front of Daniel. And what happened to Daniel when he saw him? He melted. It's not a man. It's got to be something more. The person that Daniel couldn't even look at was a spiritual being and he describes this spiritual war that is going on and it leads me to ask the question then if there and he mentions a prince of persia who withstood him and then a prince of greece is going to come 
And then it says, Michael, your prince, the very last verse, Michael, your prince. And the word your is a plural form, which some have suggested Michael is the prince over Israel, God's people, your people. And so if there's those princes, is there a prince over the United States? Is there a prince over North Korea? And some have taken this idea of territorial spirits down to the level of, of, of like there's a, there's a prince over every school or every street or there's a prince over Gage's Lake and every home. And I know some of you might be like freaked out right now. Bear with me. It's okay. There's hope. This is the only chapter that mentions those types of spirits. So I don't want to take this farther than it should be taken. But I do want us to understand the reality of what is happening. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us this. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against, notice, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And I think this verse really helps us see a better understanding of what we are up against. Because I believe that Satan and his forces are actively working today to hinder everything about God. And I say that Satan does not work haphazardly. I think he is extremely organized. And if I could say it this way without giving him credit, Satan is brilliant. He's the best strategist. He, he's organ he plans. He schemes. That's why Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. 2 Corinthians 2, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not, notice, ignorant of his designs. We recognize Satan is extremely powerful and he is a mastermind of deceit. You don't believe me? Read the New Testament. And read about how we're to live as Christ followers. Why? Because we have this battle that's raging within us. And so the writers are constantly telling us, put off the old man. You're dead to sin. Put on the new man. Put on the armor of God. Stand against Satan. Lay aside the sin that clings so closely. Walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. He's very smart. So could it be that he has assigned different areas for different forces? I don't know. Possibly, you go over into America and you play here. And you, this demon, you go over and you play over there. America, you make them follow the God of materialism. Make them follow the God of apathy. I don't know. I don't know. If you believe that, that's fine. If you don't believe that, that's fine. Either one of those doesn't change your response. And this is what I want to finish with today. What is our response? What do we do? If we believe that there's territorial spirits, how do we respond? If we don't believe that there's these territorial spirits, how do we respond? There's a few things that I wanted to mention to you as we close. First of all, number one, don't dismiss the supernatural. Don't dismiss it. Whatever you think about it. If you take your Bible seriously and you believe the word of God is inerrant and is inspired, then you have to reconcile that there's something beyond that we don't know about, that we can't see. Paul says it. We're wrestling against these things. The supernatural is, re is real. There are angels. There are demons. There are battles happening in heavenly places. Don't dismiss the supernatural. Number two, demonic forces are strong. Listen. God is stronger. God is stronger. We see that in Daniel. 
It says they fought. They fought for 21 days. But notice who overcame. The angel of God. And he says, I'm going to fight the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece. And you have Michael with you. And I say, if this is a messenger of God, how strong is God? Demonic forces are strong, but God is stronger. Number three. Don't miss, dismiss the supernatural. Demonic forces are strong, but God is stronger. Number three, don't pray to angels. It's interesting that every time someone in the Bible gets an angelic vision, that the person decides to start worshiping the angel, you know what the angel does every single time? Stops them. No, oh, don't worship me. Don't worship me. The Bible doesn't teach us to pray to angels. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. Who is it? Christ Jesus. And you know what I see here? Daniel's not praying for the angel. Daniel's not praying to angels. He's actually shocked by the appearance of the angel. He's just praying and he turns and looks and bam, there's an angel and he falls on his face. Clinton Arnold said it this way. Daniel had no idea of what was happening in the spiritual realm when he prayed. There is no indication that Daniel was attempting to discern these territorial spirits or pray against them or cast them down. In fact, Daniel only learned about what happened in the spiritual realm after the warring in heaven. I say don't pray to angels. Number four, don't make the object of your prayers casting out, binding, or evicting spirits. Now, I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't happen. I believe that there are people who need demonic deliverance. But that should not be the object of all of your prayers. God, I just pray that you would take this demon off of Gage's Lake. You know what motivated Daniel's prayer? It's not the spirit of Persia. It's not the, the, the prince over Babylon. Daniel prayed. Listen, Daniel prayed because he knew God had promised that his kingdom was coming. And Daniel says, it's not happening yet. The rebuilding of Jerusalem has stopped. God, I'm praying. I am here. And I'm praying that your kingdom come. Your will be done. Because I look around and I don't see it coming yet. And so I'm praying, God, your kingdom come. And I pray for my family that way. And I pray for my city that way. And I pray for my country that way. That my focus is on God. Jesus is the one that I put my hope in. And lastly, put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. If you don't know what the armor of God is, read Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul describes the armor of God, and you can spend a lot of time looking at that. This armor, this, this, this helmet of, of salvation, this breastplate of righteousness, this belt of truth. Paul's not saying, hey, when you get up in the morning, put on your imaginary hat, put on your click, click, Got my breastplate on. No, 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 no. I think when you study that armor, this is, when you, when you study that armor, every piece of the armor of God, it's Jesus. The helmet of salvation. Luke says in, in Acts chapter 4, there's salvation in no other name given among men. The breastplate of righteousness. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sin. 
You get behind the shield of faith. You know what faith is? Knowing that God has given us a home. God has given us a, a, a relationship with Jesus. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Every piece pictures Jesus. The belt of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. So you know what he's saying, Paul says? Put on Christ. Put on Christ. Embrace Christ. Colossians 2. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Listen, there's a real battle that's going on. There's a battle for your very soul. What do you do? You pray to God. Why? Because your prayer matters. My question to you, when you see the power of God, and you see Satan, which side are you on? Are you putting on Christ? Are you walking with Christ? Are you siding with the other? You say, well, I haven't really picked Christ, but I don't want to be with the demonic side. Well, guess what? If you haven't chosen Christ, Jesus says, if you're not for us, you're against us. Which side are you on? Let's pray. God, this morning you are the God of heaven. And we use our words here because we pray through faith that you hear them. But God, if your glory was, was revealed to us right now, we would not even be able to speak. We would be flat on our faces, not even being able to breathe because you are so mighty. You are so glorious. You are so powerful. So God, we humbly fall before you and say, God, forgive us. We are so unclean. We're not worthy. Forgive us. We read that the Bible says that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. God, we rest on that promise. God, we know that there are things happening in this world today behind the scenes that we don't even see but we know you have overcome. You have and you always will overcome. And so we pray as Jesus did, not our will, but your will be done. Your kingdom come. Help us to remain. Help us to keep persevering through prayer. God, I pray that there's someone here today that's been walking without prayer. I pray that they would be reminded of how important prayer is and how important their prayers mattered because it is through our prayers that you move among us. God, we love you. It's in your precious holy name we pray. Amen.